this special report on Holy Family Radio. I'm your host, Eleanor Rossman. I'm sure that we can all agree that we're living in a time of unprecedented moral decline on a worldwide scale. How did we get here? What can we do to change course? What does heaven have to say? What role does our Blessed Mother have? Let's find out. Our guest is Ted Flynn. Ted is the author of a new book, The Great Reset, The Globalist Plan Versus Heaven's Victory. Ted is an expert on Marian apparitions, the author of The Thunder of Justice, which has been translated into seven languages, and I had the pleasure of reading many years ago. In 2000, he authored Hope of the Wicked, The Master Plan to Rule the World. And since 1988, Ted and his wife Maureen have been teaching and informing people of the Catholic faith through their apostolate signs and wonders. Welcome, Ted. Thank you very much. You know, again, the title of your book is called The Great Reset, The Globalist Plan Versus Heaven's Victory. But before we hear about heaven's victory, let me ask you, what is the Great Reset and why is this relevant in our day? That is a very, very broad question, but a very, very good one. And I think the best way to approach it is that we hear it everywhere. There's no place that's immune from it. Almost any website you go to, whether it's World Economic Forum, the globalists, the elites, whatever you want to call them, the insiders, they're all pushing a reset. And the, the great reset is just two words about basically resetting the economy to the conformity that they wish. We'll use more one recent example before we go back to maybe a little bit of the historical so we can put it in in its proper place in history now. Okay. And if you take a look what happened in, in World War II, many people believe, and I'm one of them, that World War II began with the, inv- the Japanese invasion of Manchuria in 1931 that really set the stage for the, the Second World War, because don't forget the First World War was called the Great War. And, and, and until World War II, it had never been called World War I. And so but what happened in that period of time, and then we're going to go back a little bit to put it in a a broader perspective of of where people can see its relevancy, is that the allies knew, the Western nations knew, Australia, Canada, as well as all of the nations that fought with the allies against the Germans that first started in Europe, um, when uh, Hitler first went in the Sudetenland and then 1939 in Poland, everybody knew from a global basis that a nation that tiny, even though they had been prepping for all of those years prior in the 1930s under Hitler, that they could not have literally taken on the whole world. So what happened, the financial people and um, the Secretary of Treasury at the time of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, his name was Morgenthau, and um, they, they started meeting in the Green Mountains of New Hampshire, um, and they, it's called Bretton Woods, to where they started meeting literally in 1941 all the way through 1945, where they knew the, the pound sterling would no longer be the reserve currency of the world, that it would be the United States that would be the country that would control the world because of, for all the reasons we know, its power, its might, its industrialization, all of the people combining to come together. So what happened is there was a reset where pound sterling of the British was not the reserve currency of the world. And then what happened? The, the world reset. So th- that was like the first reset. So th- this word reset is literally just a word. So you could get into, if you want to go more to um, the historical, the United States is the 23rd great empire of the world, where we were uncontested with the nuclear bomb, with all of everything after World War II. There wasn't anybody that could have taken on the United States and won a war. But in, you so, know, in your book, I want to just mention that you had, you had said that there have been empires that preceded ours that have basically gone down the tubes, the Romans, the Persians, the Greeks. So this is our reset. 
This is this is now on our watch. That's exactly okay. right. That's exactly where I was going. So you have the Mesopotamians, the Greeks, the Romans. I mean, the Roman Empire fell officially in 454. They had a really good run. So if you really look at it from the, the end of World War II in 1945 to the present day, The United States is the reserve currency, which gives us the ability to print money out of nothing, fiat money, which is how we can print trillions of dollars, give it away to people who don't work. And the world is, frankly, growing very, very tired of that. Mm -hmm. And then you have the BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, that are coming together. They're using their own SWIFT codes, which is how money trillions of dollars every day are transferred over the wires, um, over the Internet to transfer money. So you have a situation where this is now the great reset is now on our watch in an age of technology where everybody knows what it is. You know, I noticed, go ahead. I was going to say, I noticed in the book, Ted, that um, dates are really important. Dates have a lot of meaning. Um, And I remember you were talking about the particular date of 1717 um, and and, and Freemasonry started. And, And that plays a role in this great reset, doesn't it? Well, now now we're going into into the mechanics and the organization of how it's taking place, that there is a cabal of people that are very, very, very powerful behind the scenes. And I guess before we segue into that very important question, if you really want to take a look, we can go into some of the empires like the Spanish Armada, the French under the Sun, ki- sun Kings of Louis Cartaz, Kansas, says 14, 15, and 16 for several hundred years where the French were a mighty power. And then, you know, you could see the Dutch literally sailing into New York Harbor in 1609, which was a very, very wealthy nation. The Gilder, in essence, due to their trading, was the reserve currency at the world at that time. They were always known as traders, and the Dutch, even to this day, as pension funds, they're always very, very cash rich. You very rarely ever hear of a Dutch pension fund going belly up because they've got more equity than debt in it. So the point is, is that the great reset that we hear so much about is just two words for a group of people looking to come in and control the narrative and our life. And due to the Internet and the interconnectivity of the world economy, we're seeing so much more of this today to where you can control the narrative through all of these giant tech companies with everything they're doing to, con- to control the masses. Through, and, it, and it's a great psyop. It's a great psychological operation of how to control the masses. And Ted, this isn't um, simply secular. This involves what some terms that I've read in your book, the deep state and the deep church. Um, you want to you speak to that? Yeah, I mean, um, again, it goes back to powerful people. It goes back to powerful families. Many, when I released the book, um, uh, Hope of the Wicked, I was very heavily criticized as a person who was into conspiracy theories. Okay. And, and I did hundreds of radio and TV after that. And I used to always deal with this question really, really early on. I mean, this is a religious program. I get that. And there's a greater awareness of our day of where we're at spiritually because people of faith understand these things more in their spirit. But I would always, always, I would deal with the issue right on and say, if people don't think there's conspiracy theories, they're really not paying attention. There are people who get together as organizations, affiliations, powerful families, powerful offices, governments, and you can see these, these people that are very, very well connected through very real organizations called the Bilderbergers, yes. the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission. They're not getting together to, to for tea and crumpets. They have agendas yeah. to, to propel their organizations into one of more power. And then as soon as you an, a, a person or an entity gets more power, they want more control. So what, is their, what is their power. agenda, Ted? What is their agenda? I know you're saying power. 
um, in particular, as far as Christians, um, what what exactly are they wanting to do? Let's say, as far as Christians. Well, if a person a person has to understand this, I mean, I released the Hope of the Wicked, which has one thousand two hundred footnotes of the. Uh, of the words of the world leaders themselves, of the words of where they wanted to bring the word. So may, some people could disagree with my my ideology and the whole thing. But when you have thousands of people and hundreds of world leaders in powerful businesses, philanthropy, NGOs, not-for-profits, when you hear politicians, when billionaires, when you hear these people's with an agenda saying where they want to bring the world. You have to pay attention because the word conspiracy in Latin means conspire, which means to breathe together. And anybody who doesn't think powerful people want to further their agenda, once they get money, Mm -hmm. they want power, and then the extension of that is control. And you could take a look at a lot of the organizations. So it's a group of people that are networked together that do want this control. And if people don't understand that, they're frankly naive. It's not that we're conspiracy theorists. It's that it's which was a term invented by the CIA in the 1960s to dismiss a person. It was a very dismissive term to basically relegate them to a nut job that if they thought like this, they were an intellectual pygmy, where it was the direct opposite, because in David Rockefeller's autobiography, he literally thanked, I think he died years ago at something like either 99 or 100 or 101 years old. And in his autobiography, he thanked the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Economist, which was a very powerful organization, news organization in Europe, like the Financial Times of of London. And he thanked them for keeping the globalist agenda quiet. Mm. So, so, okay, so as a person, a a conspiracy theorist, when you have David Rockefeller, who was at the center, him and Zbigniew Brzezinski with the CFR, the trilateral in these organizations. So was he being honest or was he you know, so a person has to start paying attention to what's being said, and they can't just stick their head in the sand thinking that this stuff does not exist. So that this cabal of people, as you just said, this is the deep state. I used it in the term, you know, 25 years ago as, as a cabal of evil. Chad, hold that thought for a minute. We're going to stop for a quick break. And we come back to talk more about The Great Reset with author Ted Flynn. So please stay tuned. We're back with a special on Holy Family Radio with author Ted Flynn and The Great Reset. Ted, uh, when we first started the program, you were talking about the historical background for this Great Reset. Why don't we get into that? Well, again, the broadness of the subject. So we've got to hone in on a certain area. There are people that are very, very powerful. So let's go back to the very, very beginning. And we can't go back much further than literally in the Garden of Eden and creation with Adam and Eve. There was a group of people, the, the angels that said literally, I will not serve. So this may seem a little bit trite and banal, but it's not. There are groups of people that absolutely want nothing to do with the things of God all throughout history, whether it's secularism, humanism, utilitarian or whatever, or a hatred of God, anger at God, not understanding. But there are groups of people historically that absolutely do not want anything to do with God. And there was, it's non-Serbium, I will not serve. Mm -hmm. And so, and then I always get into what I think is the most emotive verse in the whole Bible of who Satan really is. And it's in John 10.10, where the emotive words are, Satan is out to kill, destroy, and to steal kill, destroy, and to steal. That's 1010A. But John 1010B is, but I come to give you life and give it more abundantly. Any believer today, 
knows his, that we're in the midst of a ferocious battle for the control of man, his destiny, uh, the future, uh, what they're trying to do with a heinous diabolical. And it's not a Democrat or Republican agenda. It's no longer believer and unbeliever. We're now into believer versus pagan. Mm-hmm. A person cannot have a, a, a view of God, of who God is in their life and believing in him and believe that anything to do with abortion, that we've just grown so used to that term. But if we just sit for a second to look at that narrative of what an abortion is, now that's morphed literally into literally mutilating children with parents' consent, with schools and other entities promoting this. Gender ideology, right? Gender ideology to to literally make a little boy to that uh, child to transition into a girl or or a girl into a little boy. And so I literally saw just the other day of how low it's getting in this whole war that we're watching. Crayola crayons, crayons, is actually now putting a transgender image in their material and on their website of a transgender man with a beard uh, dressed in a woman's dress. Unbelievable. And so this, this isn't this isn't believer and unbeliever. This is now pagan. Yes, I agree. So it goes all of the way back. But if you want to get into a little bit more of the historical of how there's a deep affiliation with entities historically, in, in 1717 in England, a lot of the drinking clubs named themselves in, in Europe, old Europe, after the pubs where they congregated and talked and met together uh, to talk about whatever fraternal clubs talk about, which is always about self-promotion, promotion of their ideas. So there were two, there were several small disparate groups that called themselves Masons all of the way back to the biblical times of, of where Solomon used Masons to build uh, the temple. And they were, but in seven, in June 24th, 1717, there was a group of people from the different uh, drinking clubs that actually began to codify and organize in a much broader fashion Freemasonry, which is the deep state. This is the absolute core of what the deep state is as a fraternal organization that appears so innocuous, but does it's not an innocuous agenda. The church through the ages has always spoken about Freemasonry as something that a Catholic should never even be a part of because right. of its agenda. So then now if you want to get into from 1717 to where they organize and, and they became the Grand Lodge on literally June 24th, which I find very, very interesting. That was the very day of the Dobbs decision. June Feast of the 24th. Sacred Heart. Yeah. And Feast of the Sacred Heart. So that was a fascinating thing that that took place on that day. And so, you know, the point is heaven's got a broad agenda here, but we've got it. We have to be literate. We just can't go through is if everything's, you know, we can't be speaking about the negative all the time. And we also can't be thinking everything's going to be hunky dory. We've got to study where we're at. And and these people um, realized that they had to infiltrate the Catholic Church. They were going to take the church down um, by invasion or because it was too, it's, we're too broad. We're worldwide. So their efforts were to infiltrate the Catholic Church. And do you believe that they've done that? Well, now you're going to what this is. It's very perceptive on your part. I mean, now we're going to the main event. If you look from 1717 to where where they had built up some organizational power in Europe. Now let's go to 1789 which was the French Revolution, which was the big event. And so um, uh, in, in 1789, the, the, the powers that be of the state and the, organ, the people who were anti-Catholic, they were smart enough to recognize that the Catholic Church was too powerful, too broad, too much of a landowner, too organized, too many people, 
too many faithful people, too many clergy, that they were just so big, they were smart enough and devised a genius strategy that the only way to take down the Catholic Church was to infiltrate from within and destroy it from within. So what happened in 1789 with the French Revolution, which, you know, people talk about the storming of the Bastille. Mm -hmm. The Bastille had something like 14 prisoners in it at the time. It wasn't like they freed, you know, the largest penal colony in the world. It's simply an event that that is a monument to them as a day where they they revolted. And a lot of that had to do with a, a revulsion of, of the Catholic Church, what they believed um, they didn't want in, in, in Europe and specifically in France. But it was a goal to take down the monarchies. Yes, right. Uh, the Masons realized to control the narrative for the world, they needed to take down the monarchies. And we can see that happened also in Russia in 1917 with Tsar Nicholas, where the monarchy, and it's not to say the monarchies were all without spot and blemish and were, were without any warts and wens. Right. Because they were oppressive. I mean, you know, I personally may have been somebody marching in the street against that sort of suppression and oppression that the monarchies wielded. That We've seen so many in so many movies of them living in luxury and, and, and the masses living in absolute poverty and in dire circumstances. So they had to infiltrate from within. And that's exactly the same thing as you mentioned of what they've also done in the church. It's this simple. It's a paternal network of people that have an agenda to destroy the church from within. And uh, even Bella Dodd, if you know the book, um, yes. um, something, uh, not Heart of Darkness. Um, not that. A um, That's Joseph, Con- uh, Joseph yeah. Conrad, Heart of Darkness. She swears that she was that that happened, that there were agents that were sent into seminaries. Is that isn't that who she? Oh, was? yeah. She talks yeah. about uh, by the time that, you know, she was with the ACP, the American Communist Party. Mm-hmm. And when she started moving towards a conversion, she was expelled. And she wasn't even allowed to read certain books, but she was very, very clear that they had deeply infiltrated the seminaries and even had people at that time rising through the ranks, through the fraternal network of promotion from within. I mean, take a look at some, let's not get into the church bashing, which we could do here, uh, but we won't, but just take a look at a lot of the appointments that are being made for bishops and cardinals that are very, very harmful to the church. And we know that there is the, the, the name of the Masonic Lodge in Rome is actually called the P2 Lodge, which stands for Propaganda Due, where Malachi Martin personally told me that he thought a third of the cardinals in the Curia were actually members of the P2 Lodge. Yes. I, in fact, I'm still reading um, a book of his Windswept House where he is, he called it a fact fantasy type book, but he actually said that there were, these were real people and you can look it up on the internet and find out who some of these people were. And at the time they were, they came into the United States. I think John Jadot as like an annuncio, even though there wasn't an annuncio at that time and named some of the, the bishops and the bishops um, that have, a lot of them have been in trouble uh, in our day, but we see where it comes from. They were named on purpose. Um, anyway, let's let's stop and take another well, break. Let, let me just, this Windswept House is a fascinating, fascinating book. I loved it. I read that in the Keys to This Blood. And Malachi Martin actually visited us here in Virginia. Um, I, I spent hours with him in his apartment. He was the one, if you go back and look, he did the introduction to the the thunder of justice in 1990. That's right. He did. I just, I've yeah. just now remember that. Um, a fascinating but, person, an exorcist. And, uh, and I think he left the Jesuits because he saw where they were headed. So, well, he, but there was a fascinating line. If a person missed it, there was, um, the, the, the priest's name was Gladstone. Yes. In, in the book, the protagonist. And he was from 
Galveston, Texas, a very, very wealthy family. And he, he's a man's man. He's got the savoir faire of a person who can walk in any room. He'll walk by a chess table and say, you should move your queen over to, towards the rook. He's a person who had tremendous spiritual physical and intellectual and emotional gifts. And that's why the Pope summoned him to the Vatican. But in that book, there's one line that if a person missed it, they virtually missed the hermeneutical key of the entire book in Windswept House. And the question that the Pope, you know, he's brought there to, to find out about this cabal of evil, which is what Windswept House is about. Of you know, but the Pope asks Father Gladstone in the book this question, and this is about what we're talking about today. The Pope asks him, he's talking about evil in this cabal. He says, Find out if it's organized. Yeah. All right, stay tuned. We're going to take a break again. Uh, we're speaking with Ted Flynn on Holy Family Radio on a special report, and we'll be back in just one minute. Family special. We're talking with Ted Flynn. He's the author of The Great Reset. The book is, there's so much in it, Ted. I don't even know where to begin, but people need to run out and get a copy, and they can do that at sign.org, S Y G N.org. Everything you ever wanted to know about The Great Reset, what's going on in the world historically. And, Ted, I know just talking to friends and family that people are really uneasy, even if they wouldn't say, well, we're in a great reset. They're saying, I'm worried about, I can't find food that I like, or I can't, I'm worried about our money. I'm worried about maybe we need to get more guns. And um, so there's a lot of focus on physical preparation, but I think we need to talk about spiritual preparation. Agree. So why don't you talk a little bit about, um, I was going to ask you about so many appearances of the Blessed Mother over the last several hundred years. Unbelievable. So many. I mean, we can talk about Guadalupe, Our Lady of Lords, Fatima, Akita in Japan, just to name a few. And, and Our Lady seems to be saying the same things over and over for us, a call to conversion, a call to prayer, a call to fasting. Um, so it sounds like we're not really listening, are we? Um, and, and, and to grow closer to Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. So talk a little bit about some of these apparitions and what Our Lady is saying and why she is uh, really our, our great hope right now. Well, that, again, that, that's a very broad subject because you talked about fear. Let, let's start with where people are at now. And then why don't we segue right into the remedy and, and what that really is. No matter where you go today, you can be at a cocktail party, you could be walking among neighbors, you could be at church, no matter any venue you are at today, you will almost immediately know where the other person stands on almost all of the issues by how they respond to what's going on politically. I mean, let's say whether it's a never Trump or we're not even getting into the issue, but uh of political, but what's actually happening. If a person says they voted for Biden or they were, they worked for Hillary and wanted to see Clinton, you know where they stand on so many issues like abortion, same sex, marriage, uh, the loss of sovereignty, the loss of personal rights. So you know where they stand. And if you were to make, and it's okay for them to talk about it and ram their agenda right down your throat if it's not something that you believe, then that's okay. But if you bring it up, you'll be canceled or marginalized among all of those people. Yes. I personally don't know a single individual that in my entire life 
that is not sensitive to that issue right now of how raw the nerves are to where what's happening now is that if a person voices a view on something that a more liberal person doesn't agree with or progressive or whatever you want to call it, a Democrat, then if you voice your opinion, they're coming at you. It's no longer neutral. You and, And there's a chance are if you continue to voice it, you'll be marginalized. Yes. And so this is what's been going on now for a long time. And so a lot of believers are feeling the pressure. But I also think the narrative on TV is contributing. I don't think we're Sodom and Gomorrah of where there's going to be Lot, his wife and his two daughters came with him. And, and if you in, if you look at the story, even uh, when the angel went in to warn uh, Lot to get out of Sodom, Something very interesting is in that story. Both of Lot's daughters were betrothed to be married. Hmm. And so, in other words, you know, there weren't exactly a lot of godly people in that city. If you take a look at that negotiation with with Abraham and God to where it went through six iterations, 50, 45, 40, um, 50, 45, 40, 30. Yes, uh, 20 and 10, right? So in through six iterations, but only four left. So in other words, Lot's daughters were not betrothed to men who shared their daughter's ideology or their family ideology. They had, they had accepted something less than what God had ordained for Lot and his family. So only four made the trip out. So we're not Sodom and Gomorrah now. There are many, many, many good people, but the left is so aggressive in pushing this ideology. And how did they do it? They overtook the media. You you can barely get a political appointment um, in in many places today. Uh, They've infiltrated government, academia, all of higher education, NGOs. Hollywood. uh, Hollywood, corporate and if if you're a conservative, by and large, you're kind of cowering. And I saw a very, very interesting clip the other day. It was with Senator Ted Cruz, where he was interviewing the chief diversity officer of, of the State Department. And there was an email that went around in the State Department that if you you could you shouldn't be hired if you're the wrong religion, whatever that is, if if you were the wrong, the wrong religion, the wrong race, white and male and a believer. Yeah. So if you, it's probably, it's on the net. If person wants to Google it with Ted Cruz of, of interviewing this chief diversity officer, that's actually everywhere now, no matter where you go, whether it's a restaurant, no matter where you go, it's the rainbow flag. So they're, so they're much more aggressive. So that begs the question of what you started. What is our response? Our response is no to a lot of this. I've, I've been doing what I'm doing now on a spiritual basis, although I've worked in energy, real estate development. I've worked in Poland, Belarus, other places corporately. But I've never once in 45 years ever gotten in an argument, ever raised my voice with a person who has a different belief than me. And a lot of that has to do where it's from Proverbs, where it says a soft answer turns away wrath. Mm. The truth, if spoken by one, is still the truth. Yeah. I don't ram anything down their throat. You can approach something philosophically, theologically, reason, human nature. You can just use principles. And, you know, the worst thing you can do with a lot of these people is ever quote a scripture because they'll hate you for it. So the question is, how do we exist in this environment? And we go about our way. And in the book, I give what I think is the absolute key for the believer of how we're to operate. And there's actually two where I have a chapter called the mind of an unbeliever. And another one is called the Daniel factor. And the mind of the unbeliever is this. I think if you, if you want to take a look at Romans one, now, Paul, St. Paul is a very, very mature believer. He's near the end of his life. Now he has just written what many people believe is the most mature book and theologically deep book in the entire New Testament out of the Gospels themselves, outside of that. 
where it's, it's fetus at ratio, it's faith and reason. It's that raw little precipice of where the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Now, Paul is shortly going to be um, um, martyred at Tre Fontani in Italy. And he writes now this book of Romans. And in chapter one, this is the conclusion I've come to of trying to talk to. And un- they're no longer unbelievers to me. These people are pagan with these views. In Romans one, which would be a good exercise for everybody who is struggling with this to know who you're dealing with. Paul gives about 23 descriptions of people who do not believe. Now, don't forget, at that time, the gospel had not spread. The Roman was truly pagan at the time of there, where there were deities and everything else, like there was of Moloch and Baal in the Old Testament, because the the faith had not matured and evolved enough in, in Italy or even in Rome at that time when Paul was there. There were groups of believers, but it wasn't as widespread. And so Paul literally uses terms like they're reprobate yeah. and very, very strong words of, of these kind of people. And he gives one phrase. It's like St. Paul has just been to the pub where Paul's had two beers. And he says, to, which you don't think of St. Paul going in the pub and having a few brews like maybe you do. But I can town. picture it. I'm trying. But, but, but this is the point. These were people. And, and he says he says this phrase, which is it, which is which is in the Bible in Romans one. It's it's in my Jerusalem version. And it says they have no brains. I mean, I, I fell off the floor laughing when I saw that St. Paul saying they've got no brains. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such a, a euphemism that we use today that is is very, very familiar in vernacular. Yeah. Yeah, the guy's got no brains. How do you vote like that? Biden's right. just got no brains. Right. You're not thinking. But this is St. Paul in the book of Romans. Yeah. They have no brains. Yeah. So it's very, very hard to talk to these people. So you have to basically, you have to love them. You have to, a soft answer turns away wrath. You can just use a principle. A lot of times when people would say things to me with, with these kind of practices, whether it's the border or transgender or other heinous agendas, I, I would say something like, where does that get us long term? Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, and in the meantime, you may lose your business or uh, friends, but, you know, Jesus told us that he came to divide and that is that's going to happen because we have to choose God first. And, and there's a cost to that. It's called the cross. Um, Ted, I want to ask you a little bit about um, some of the reasons. That, and again, this is a little bit of history, but more spiritual, um, you know, since 1962, prayers removed from the schools, 63, uh, the the Bible was removed. Uh, We've been taking God out of our culture steadily since then. And um, the Blessed Mother has made some interesting appearances in around the world. Can you talk a little bit about Garabandal? My pet of everything in the world. I mean, I've been to almost all of these in the world over the last, you know, over all these years. And whatever I'd go in a country, I'd find these kind of places. But my first trip to Garabandal was 1994. And I had written in the Thunder Justice, which is called the Thunder Justice. And the subtitle is The Warning, the Miracle, of Great Chastisement in the Era of Peace. If a person now wants to move into what is going to be the ult- God's ultimate act of mercy, it's going to be the warning and the miracle of Garabandal. In the new book, they're the two biggest chapters. And I just made actually a little booklet called The Secrets of Garabandal on that. Can you get that also at sign.org, Ted? uh, Actually, I only printed a few where I just print a few. That's going to be ready in in a couple of weeks. But I print a few just to go through it as it's all laid out to see the way the software moves things so okay. it doesn't come through with a rotter. Because I have to be very more concerned than almost anybody that people would want to criticize what I do. So they may, as I say, disagree with my ideology, but they cannot disagree with my scholarship. Ted, hold that thought for just a minute. We're going to stop and take our last break. Uh, we're talking with Ted Flynn, the author of The Great Reset, and we're talking about some interesting messages and in particular in Garabandal. So stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. We are back with Ted Flynn on Holy Family Radio. 
And we're talking about the Great Reset, and we're talking specifically now about our Blessed Mother and a particular apparition in Garabandal, Spain. That happened, I think it was 1962? 1961 to 65, where the Blessed Mother appeared over 2,000 times to four young girls, 11 and 12 years old. And what was the message there? The the, The Blessed Mother's main message, everybody knows it as the warning and the miracle, which they're waiting for, but the main message there at Garabandal was on the importance of the Eucharist and of uh, the Mass and the priesthood. It was the Eucharist, the Mass, and the priesthood. That's the main message that the Blessed Mother gave to give at Garabandal. There's all sorts of other little offshoots about the mystical that everybody talks about, and it's always continually talking about the warning and the miracle. And and I get that, and, 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 and that's why I'm so enamored by Garabandal more than any other one, because it, it explains so much of what heaven's going to do as an act of mercy. There isn't anything mankind can do any longer to get ourselves out of this right. mess. Yeah. We're too interconnected of, of, of car parts that are manufactured in maybe 20 countries assembled in another and sold mm-hmm. all over the world mm-hmm. of, of different parts and due to trade and roots and the Internet transference of money, big banks, you name it, funds. So the only thing that I think that the world can come to some sort of normalcy through a shock is going to be Garabandal. Now, what is the warning? There's other words for the warning. The illumination of conscience, uh, the uh, the aviso, it's known in Spanish, which is a warning, Um, a correction of conscience, the illumination of conscience, And so it means what it is, is every single person in the world at the same time, the same moment, the same structure of time, which many people think will be 15 to 20 minutes. Nobody knows where airplanes will literally stop in the sky. No one will be able to explain it other than spiritually. Uh, And it explains this tremendous battle that we're all a part of right now to where heaven now pulls out the big guns. And it, it decides this is their move. We're and getting this, closer to that. And it, what basically what you're saying is it's really a great grace because we're going to see our souls as God sees us. Not as we see, but as God, he's going to show us the state of our soul. So it's going to be an opportunity for people to choose God. It's going to be frightening for some, depending on the state of our soul, Um but it's going to be a great grace. And I, I remember reading in your book, you were talking about one of the seers in Garabandal, Conchita. And the Blessed Mother said to her, because everybody's saying, oh, well, when is the warning going to be, you know, and the, the girls do not, even though they know they don't say, but she did say that the warning may happen during a synod. And I thought to myself, first of all, a 12-year-old girl in this remote village in Spain, how would she even know what a synod is? And here we are now, the great, the synod on synodality, which is wrapping up in 2023. Just asking what your thoughts are. Well, that, actually, um, she she may have been told that during the apparitions where there were 2,000 of them to the young girls, but that's when she was actually in school and she told a nun that, that it would be during a synod. Now, okay. we've had different synods in the past. And I get into that in the book of some of the requirements. We know we're getting closer to these events. Are we there just yet? We know the church will be underground. It'll be difficult saying mass. And there's a very, very interesting prophecy that the Blessed Mother, she said, near the time of the warning and the miracle, because they're so close, they're within one year which we can touch on what the warning is versus the miracle, which will be within 12 months, within a year. It doesn't have to be the same calendar year where there's going to be some sort of miracle. But uh, Conchita told when she was a, a, a very early high school student, she told a nun that, that it would be during a synod. Now, we've had a lot of um, synods since 1961, Mm-hmm. When these began, but this one's a little different because this isn't a synod now with clergy. This is the synod on synology to where all of the parishes all over. We just had ours in our church about a month and a half ago 
where it's a listening session. And a lot of the more conservative element feel that this is a very broad attempt to bring in a very, very progressive agenda to the church of more social action versus the gospel and other things. And another thing that it said near the time of these events, and this is a fascinating word, it said the mass would be suppressed. Well, look what's happening right now to the traditional Latin masses. Every day there's a new report, Chicago, Washington, all now Arlington, um, to get rid of the Latin masses. And, you know, Ted, I think when people, when I first heard those uh, messages, I thought, oh, how can it happen here that we could have our masses suppressed? And then, and then we had COVID and, and the lockdowns in all the churches. So it is possible, even though it's hard to imagine. Is, is that what we're talking about? Is part of this shutting well, down the traditional masses? Absolutely. I mean, it's a fascinating thought. I mean, literally, since this whole TLM thing of, of which, you know, I'm fine with, with TLM. Uh, you know, I don't go to TLM, but I, I see I'm nothing fine wrong with it. Yeah. With it. I, I'm fine with it. I don't criticize it, not even a nanoparticle. Um, and I like the reverence of it. I get yeah. it. But it's an interesting word, the word suppress. It can mean decimate, deteriorate, destroy, subjugate. It's a very broad, if you look in the dictionary, which I went to it, and since the suppression of now the TLM, heaven has a very, very broad agenda here that when these think, when these prophecies are given, they're very, very accurate, but we don't necessarily fully understand mm-hmm. them till later. We just can't grab it all. And, and, the, and, and then we say, oh, my God, it was right. Yeah. So now since this suppression of the TLM, is that what was said? Because it had to do with the mass in the Eucharist, because don't forget of the sessions of Vatican II, which lasted over a four year period with lengthy sessions in between. Um, uh, the Latin mass was the mass for the world. And so is that what was being said? The mass was suppressed. So only since this suppression have I focused in on that. And that's one of the, the things that I put in the book. And Ted, uh, you know, it seems also, um, and this is in the book too, about um, how Our Lady is asking us to grow closer to Jesus. And one of the remedies is is the rosary. I mean, some people think, oh, the rosary, some people, but a daily rosary uh, is very, very important and can um, maybe mitify, is that the right word? What do I want to say? Mitigate some of this, what could happen? I mean, what what can we do individually um, right now to prepare ourselves? Great. We're focusing on the solutions, which people have already spotted that have previewed the book early, that the book is a book of great hope. It's not a downer, which is the way the book was designed with all of the articles and the chapters in it. And if you, I, I like to use a sports metaphor here. I grew up playing sports as a boy. I still like sports. And so uh, I use the example of something that I've seen since I was a boy where every single, if, if a person were to see whether it's the NBA finals, World Series finals, FIFA World Cup soccer finals, NHL, whatever it is, uh, Stanley Cup, they'll, they'll see it. If they always, the, the announcer will always go in the, the winning, winner's dressing room and they stick a microphone right in the star or one of the person who just hit the home run or something and won the game in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded. And and they always say the same thing. If you were to focus in on this from, from now on, the first question, how did you guys get here? How did you get here? Yeah. And, and they always say, you know, as a team, we just focused on the fundamentals. Yeah. All year long, mm-hmm. let's say it's let's say it's it's hockey. We focused in on skate, shoot, pass, just taking the person out of the play, not spending time in a penalty box, uh, you know, for two minutes with a man down. So then, what happens is the other team has a forty percent statistical chance of scoring if you're a man down playing with four versus five on the ice. So they always say that first. How did you guys get here? Mm-hmm. What is that? That's fundamentals. That's yeah. the fundamentals and rubrics of their sports that we're going to show what are those spiritually. And then the second question is, is this, what do you guys do? Do you guys gel as a team? Do you guys enjoy each other? And what, what the announcer is asking without 
really fully understanding how loaded that question is asking. Do you guys trust each other? Do you like each other? And the, the person would say, you know, the season's over now and we knew it was going to be over at some point. So in three weeks after we, we rest and we're all banged up at the end of the season, you know, 14 of us now are going to the old courses in Scotland to play golf. I mean, these are wealthy people. They do what they want. There's huge bonuses in these things. And so they're all going to play golf. And they say, you know, as families, our wives go together for dinner before or after the game. We celebrate each other's kids' birthdays. We're over each other's house. What they're talking about is community. And this is something that's very much lacked. When, when, When your friends, good things come from when there's friendships. And in those friendships, a trust They like each other. They trust each other. They like hanging out together. And what do you get? You get a winning team. And so if you go in a person's house and all you're hearing about is division and, you know, arguing about the faith or arguing about things that really maybe don't matter in the long term about the faith, why would anybody want to be a part of that? And there's the reason why a lot of times the faith doesn't grow, because Catholics absolutely love to argue about things that do not matter in the long term (laughs) or to the rubrics. So what they were talking about. So what are the rubrics of the faith? We know what they are trying to make mass daily, a daily rosary, which has been asked for by heaven. It's heaven's prayer, which we just had a very large article in our magazine on that about really of St. Dominic and the origin of it and heaven, hell, and purgatory. So we, we know it's the rosary. We, uh, during COVID, everybody was griping that there were, wasn't mass and it, things were closed down. I get that. We were closed down here, but there were certain parishes that had adoration from seven yeah. in the morning mm-hmm. till nine and at night, six to eight. You know, and what I, it, for me, it was one of the richest times spiritually of my entire life. A lot of things had shut down. A lot of things had been quieted. So I made it a daily thing to go have adoration reading. They turned on the Gregorian chant. And it was just a beautiful thing. But you know what, Eleanor? There were only about seven or eight people there every day. But everybody's complaining of how the church is shut down, but the adoration's open, but nobody was going. So I hate to tell you that we're out of time. It seems like we could go on forever, but we can't. But in the meantime, I want our listeners to know that they can get your book, The Great Reset. It's available now on sign.org. That's S-I-G-N.org. Ted, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. 